We love to explain quantum physics and the mysteries of the universe, but the mysteries of finance, not so much. Intuit helps you demystify your finances through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Understanding standard deductions or interest rates can be very complicated and tricky with big potential consequences. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures, visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hey, Jorge, do you know the song Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star? I do. Yeah. Are we taking song requests now on the podcast? (laughs) No, I'm just trying to see something. How about the alphabet song? Is that something you heard as a kid? I've heard of the alphabet. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Do you you want me to get my guitar? Um, Do you also know Baba Black Sheep? That one I'm not super familiar with, but it's another kid song, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, did you ever realize these all have exactly the same music? What? You just blew my mind. Are they all called the same? Like Twinkle, Twinkle, Little, Alphabet, Black, Sheep? Yeah, they all end with three bags full of twinkling ABCs. And a bunch of lawsuits, maybe, apparently, (laughs) for copyright infringement. I'm a cartoonist and the creator of PhD Comics. Hi, I'm Daniel. I'm a particle physicist and a professor at UC Irvine. And like every other professor, I also play the guitar. (laughs) Is that a requirement for professors? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, but I live in a neighborhood of professors and I feel like every single house I go into has a guitar on the wall. I don't know if they play it or if it's just like a demonstration object, but there's lots of guitars in this neighborhood. 
It's like when they were visiting some foreign country, they picked up a guitar or something <laughs> on a field trip or a conference. Yeah, or maybe it's just a conversation piece. <laughs> Nobody actually plays it. <laughs> Are you supposed to play a guitar? You just have one on your wall, right? To look cool. <laughs> you got to have something to look cool, I guess. If you're a professor. But you're quite an accomplished guitar player, aren't you? Uh, I don't know if I would say accomplished, but I, I am in a band now. <laughs> Is there anyone else in your band? <laughs> no, I'm a one-man band. <laughs> no, I'm in a, a rock band with some friends. Oh, wow. Awesome. Yeah, a bunch of middle-aged men having a middle-aged crisis. I've never heard of that happening before. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. We're called the Grateful Dads. <laughs> so a shout out to my band members, but I don't think they listen to this podcast. But anyways, welcome to our podcast, Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe, a production of iHeartRadio. In which these two dads are grateful for our ability to understand anything out there in the universe and dive deep into all of the mysteries, the crazy bonkers weirdness of our universe, the amazing quantum frothing foam, the incredible cosmic conundrums, all of the stuff that you want to know the answers to, the things that frame our existence, that tell us how we got here and where the universe is going. We explore all of these questions and more. Yeah, because it is a pretty amazing and incredible universe full of Exciting and crazy things happening. All at the same time, there's a lot of sleepy things happening. A lot of interesting tunes to put you to sleep. <laughs> I was wondering what you were talking about there. Sleepy things happening. I was like, is Jorge, are we losing him? Is he falling asleep over there? I don't think Twinkle Twinkle Little Star is supposed to put anybody to sleep, is it? Isn't it a bedtime song? Oh, maybe not. Maybe I, I didn't grow up here, so <laughs> these were not songs that I was uh, sung to. I think it was more of a campfire song. You're sitting there out in nature looking up at the stars and wondering, you know, what they are. It's one of the oldest questions humans have been asking about the nature of the cosmos. What is out there? What is sending us those beams of light? Yeah, it's pretty incredible to think that, you know, the earliest humans were looking up at the same sky we were and they were probably asking themselves the same questions like, what is that tiny little dot there and how far away is it? Exactly. And how many quarks are inside the heart of a neutron star? I think that's a question people have been asking for thousands of years, right? <laughs> if they were pretty smart cavemen, I guess. Weren't cavemen the original particle colliders getting rocks together? Exactly. Me make smaller rocks. But it's true. It's an age old question. And there's a grand cosmic scale to these questions because those photons departed those stars millions of years or billions of years before even cavemen evolved. Yeah, uh, definitely stars have been around for billions, maybe trillions of years, way before people were looking at them. And they've been sending their light to us for all that time. And some of that light is just now getting to us right now. And it's incredible to think about how that light actually arrives here. A tiny little photon emitted by a star billions and billions of miles away has to fly through an incredible amount of universe, dodging all sorts of kinds of stuff just to land in your eyeball. It's an incredible journey. And frankly, it's amazing to me that any of the photons survive it. Yeah, I mean, who knows what that photon has been? through, right? Like it could have maybe gone around a black hole or barely dodged an asteroid or a comet, you know, made it through our atmosphere, dodged all those molecules of air in our atmosphere and just to go into your eyeball. Or just to hit a rock and nobody even observes it. That's the thing that frustrates <laughs> me is how many photons carrying tiny little clues about the universe just go totally unobserved. They fade away like a old rock star. <laughs> They're like little presents that nobody unwraps, you know. Each one has a clue about the kind of star that it came from, the history of that star, what was going on in that star at that moment, and then just boom, nobody gathers it. It just goes like splat 
on the sidewalk. Yeah, it's pretty cool to think that every star you see, I mean, it was generated by a whole sun, right? Basically, a giant ball of, of fusion-powered fire that was shooting photons in every direction, and some of them make it out to here. It gives you a sense for the incredible size and brightness of these stars, that you can see them from so far away. Imagine if your friend in Los Angeles had a flashlight that you could see in New York. You would think, oh my gosh, that must be a crazy, crazy bright flashlight, right? Well, these stars are so much further away, and yet you can see them with your naked eyes. It's incredible that these photons make it over this distance. I feel like something I realized only recently was the fact that the reason why stars look like little pinpoints in the sky, it's not that they are pinpoints, or it's not that the sun is so far away that the sun keeps getting smaller as it goes away. It's, it's, it's literally just like one photoreceptor in my eyeball getting activated by one photon. You're saying that stars are like single eye pixels in your mind. Basically, right? <laughs> yeah, they're just, or what I think of as a star or what I see as a star is really just one eye pixel, right? Like it doesn't really tell me anything about its shape or size. Yeah, it's fascinating to think about how photons spread out from that star and then sort of get more and more distant from their neighbors. And to see a star that's really far away, you only really just need one photon. And even if that photon was created with billions of other photons really near it, they all shoot out at slightly different angles. And so by the time it arrives on Earth, it's basically alone. It's the only photon that came from that star. Of course, there are more coming behind it. But that's why the stars seem much dimmer, of course, the further away they are, because the photons are now spread out over a much larger area. And so only a single cone in your eye might register a photon from that star. Yeah, it kind of makes you wonder, like, if we had bigger photoreceptors in our eyeballs, you know, like if our pixels were bigger, the stars would look bigger, right? And if they were smaller, they would look like smaller pinpoints. I suppose if they were smaller, eventually we could even resolve the size and the shape of the stars. Mm, you think so, eventually? Eventually, right? Because there is that information there. I mean, if you have a large enough telescope for close enough stars, you can definitely resolve the size of the star. You think maybe like a hawk can see the somehow the contours of uh, <laughs> Alpha Centauri or something? Or the Sagittarius? We shouldn't be inviting eagles to astronomy conferences for sure. <laughs> yeah, or at least on the podcast. <laughs> I have questions for them. I want to interview the first hawk astronomer. No, nah, I hear they're just a bunch of hacks. Hawks. <laughs> yeah, astronomy's for the birds. But I hear they have a lot of feathers in their uh, polishing caps. <laughs> but anyways, it's, it is interesting to look at a star in the night sky and see it twinkle, right? It kind of makes you wonder, like, why is it twinkling? Is it actually twinkling or is it, does it just look like it's twinkling? Yeah, and this is a question that people have been asking for a long, long time. Not just what are the stars, but what does the fact that they're twinkling tell us about them? Why do different stars seem to twinkle different amounts? And it's a question with lots of different layers of answers because it turns out there's lots of different reasons that stars can twinkle. Yeah, and it's a question that apparently inspired a song a long time ago. Three different songs. Hmm, have you dug into it? Which one came first? Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star or the ABC song? Yeah, it actually turns out the song for Twinkle, Twinkle is derived from something composed by Mozart, which is inspired by something even earlier. And then later, an American music publisher adapted the tune to fit the alphabet song. So Twinkle, Twinkle came first and then the alphabet. Interesting. But even Twinkle, Twinkle was based on something else. All music, of course, is inspired by previous music, right? It's all derivative. <laughs> right, right. We're all made out of stardust, even the songs about stars. Does your band play original music or? only covers <laughs> so far we're, we're only covers yeah i see you got twinkle twinkle you got Bob Bob black sheep you got the alphabet song a huge <laughs> <Yeah>. variety <laughs> that's right we cover everything from Bach to uh pink floyd but anyways this is an interesting question and so today on the podcast we'll be asking 
What makes a star twinkle? Twinkle, right? Not tinkle. <laughs> it's not that kind of podcast. We don't ask stars about their personal habits. <laughs> about their um, bodily functions. <laughs> we do sort of ask a lot about how um, the insides of stars, though, right? And, and the gases that erupt from it. And that's true. And we do talk about the waste products of stars and how they can be the compost that nourishes the formation of a future solar system. They're all part of the life cycle. Yeah, yeah. It's all physics. And so maybe next time we should ask what makes a star tinkle. <laughs> Welcome to our spinoff podcast. Inappropriate physics. But it's a fascinating question. I think a lot of people might have some sense of the common answer to this question. But if you dig deeper, it turns out there's lots of different fascinating physics that might make stars twinkle. Yeah, it turns out there's not just one reason stars twinkle. There are several reasons. But the basic effect is that when you look at a star in the night sky, it, it's, it sort of doesn't look like a constant dot, right? Or a, a constant uh, dot shining. It looks sort of like it's blinking on and off a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Stars look a little bit like they blink, like they're not just like a laser focused at your eyeball. Yeah, it, it's, it's almost like something is turning it on and off a little bit. Mm -hmm. Or something is interfering with it. Something's getting between you and the star. Mm. All right, so we'll dig into this question. What makes a star twinkle? But first, we were wondering how many people out there had thought about this question when they were singing the song or otherwise. And so Daniel went out there into the, did you go into the internet or to the UCI campus this time? These are answers from the internet. So thank you to everybody who participated. And if you'd like to put your mind to the test for future episodes and let people hear what you think about hard physics problems, please don't be shy. Write to us to questions at danielandjorge.com. That's right. And you can also go uh, visit Daniel at UC Irvine, right? And, and hope to run into him in the middle of campus. <laughs> That's right. I'm on campus at UC Irvine. And I have office hours, so come on, stop by. So think about it for a second. Why do you think stars twinkle? Here's what people had to say. I don't think stars twinkle. I think their photons are disrupted by temperature and pressure differentials in our atmosphere, giving us the appearance of twinkling. I imagine it's the same phenomenon that one witnesses looking over hot asphalt and seeing the horizon wiggle. And I'd venture to guess that they don't twinkle when observed from the International Space Station. Well, I guess it depends what we mean by blink. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is if we're observing a star and something moves between us and the star, like a planet, it's going to appear to have blinked, I guess. But the star itself isn't actually doing anything. It's just something's moved in front of it, so it looks like something's happened to it. I think that might be what the blink is. In general, I don't think stars actually blink, but I can envision dust clouds or particularly large planets moving between us and that star, making them appear to blink or dim significantly. It makes a star blink when the star is about to explode. That is one That is one reason. Uh, the atmosphere makes a star blink too, right? <laughs> and then a lot of stars are binary pairs, actually. And some of them, I think, can be uh, rotating around really quick. And that would make the star appear like it's blinking. Well, I know the blinking that we see from here on Earth like the twinkling star, that's more to do with our atmosphere than the star itself. Um, but I do know that stars also blink over the course of, you know, weeks and months. I know Beetle just did recently. I'm not sure what the cause was, though. So if I had to guess, I would think it would be maybe gas clouds um, or even transiting planets. 
I don't know. I think that uh, what uh, makes a star blink maybe some kind of interf interference with any object object that may cross in the path between the star and the person who observes the blinking. I would say that what makes a star blink is the disturbances in the atmosphere, similar to what we see when looking at distant streetlights. There are, um, you know, small air currents, pockets of warm and cold air that are constantly moving that through refraction cause distant tiny light sources such as stars to blink when viewed. Although that just might be my uh, view as an amateur astronomer. All right. People seem to have pretty uh, strong opinions here. I mean, a few people didn't know, but a lot of people seem to think what was going on. Yeah, there's a strong vein here of people thinking that stars are interfered with by our atmosphere. Yeah, a lot of people said that it's not that the stars actually blink like at the source, like the star itself. It's just that it just looks like it's blinking. And that's a fascinating answer because it suggests that the photons are like uninterrupted for billions and billions of years. And then just like microseconds before they hit your eyeball, that's when they get twinkled. Yeah, that's what we tell people who come listen to our band. It's not that we sound bad. It's just that, the you know, our perfect sound somehow gets distorted on the way to your ear. That's right. That's why you force them to plug in directly to your instruments, right? So they can hear the unadulterated <laughs> intended version of your music. That's right. Yes. The direct neural download. That's the next step. Actually, I know somebody with hearing loss and they have a new kind of hearing aid that allows for a Bluetooth connection so that the sound doesn't have to go through the air. They can just hear the original unadulterated sound. Wow. Wow, that's really interesting. I wonder if it sounds better or different. Oh, it's much clearer. They can go to presentations. They can hear in church now. It's much better than just amplifying the sound through the air. Sounds great. And that means you can also hit the mute button, I imagine, <laughs> at church or at a professor lecture. That's right. It probably also means that you can hack them <laughs> and you can like pipe in the Grateful Dads or something else. Yeah, much better than a professor lecture for sure, <laughs> especially if you're getting it at the source. But anyways, uh, it's, it's some interesting ideas here. A lot of people say it's not the stars that are actually blinking. It's somehow like the atmosphere that's making them blink or somehow making them look like they're blinking. So Daniel, maybe step us through. Uh, what are some of the actual reasons why stars twinkle? Well, our atmosphere is the number one reason. And this is basically why we have space telescopes, because it's not very nice to look at distant stars through the atmosphere. Because while the air seems clear to you, it actually can make light zig and zag a little bit because it's at slightly different temperatures and slightly different densities. And that's sort of like looking through glass with impurities in it. That's interesting. But I guess like if I look at something through a glass or like a, a, a hazy glass, it, it doesn't make the light source twinkle. It just makes it look dimmer. Well, what a glass does is it bends the light, right? That's how a lens works. And so if you have glass that has like varying densities and varying temperatures in it, for example, then it will change the path of that light. And so what happens to the photons as they hit the atmosphere is not that they're like destroyed is that they just change direction. And so for you to see a star, you need like a direct line of sight between you and the star. But if some photons are deflected, then you don't see them. Those photons might land to your left or to your right or somewhere else. They still hit the earth, but they're not hitting your eye anymore. So to your eye, it looks like the star is twinkling because the stream of photons is interrupted. Right. But, but I guess what I mean is that the difference between like a glass and the atmosphere is that the atmosphere is sort of like always changing, right? There is wind and there is, you know, variations and clouds. And so it's the, it makes the stars twinkle because the air is sort of like moving and, and waving around in front of me. 
Whereas like a glass doesn't, right? Like a glass doesn't make a star twinkle. That's right. A glass wouldn't make a star twinkle. It might deflect the path, but if you find the right location, you could see a constant stream of light flowing through the glass. But as you say, air is constantly changing, right? The wind, the atmospheric conditions are constantly changing. And so the path of a photon through the air is not constant. So if you're just standing there with your eyeball in one location, you're not going to get all the photons that come from that star. Well, it's kind of interesting because the atmosphere makes the stars twinkle, like it makes the photons sometimes reach your eyeball and sometimes not. But you're saying that it can also bend the photons, but it doesn't make the stars kind of wavy, does it? Right? In principle, it does. If you could capture all of those photons, like if you had a huge collection device, then you would still see the star because the deflected photons would land in your collection device. And then you would think the star came from a different place. And so because you have a small collection device, just your eyeball, you're missing some of those photons. So it looks like the star twinkles rather than dances. There's actually another really interesting effect called stellar aberration, which means that the stars are not actually where they look like they are because they have relative velocity to the Earth. So by the time the light gets here, the stars have sort of moved away from where they appear to be. But that's a different thing. It doesn't cause the stars to twinkle. It just causes them to be somewhere other than where they appear to be. I see. That's a different song. Uh, altogether. That's more like a Baba Black stellar aberration song. Yeah, historically, it's actually really important because it's one clue that we use against the ether hypothesis. People are trying to understand how light propagated through the universe. And they thought maybe there's ether. But then Michelson and Morley showed that there couldn't be ether. So people thought, oh, well, maybe we are stuck in a blob of ether that travels with the Earth. But then we wouldn't have stellar aberration. But anyway, back to twinkling stars. Yeah, I think what you're saying is that the star is shooting this train of photons at us and they're all coming sort of in a straight line to our eyeballs. But some of them like hit a pocket of hot air and get deflected or they happen to hit a, a molecule of, of nitrogen in the atmosphere and it doesn't make it out to us. And so this train of photons is interrupted and that is making it look like it's turning on and off to our eyeballs. That's exactly right. And then if you look at something slightly bigger, like a planet, which is closer, you're getting multiple streams of photons from that planet. It's not so far away that it just looks like a point source. It's like a little disk in the sky. And so while some of those photons may get scattered from one stream, you're pretty much always getting them from another stream. And so a planet looks like a little hazy because of the atmosphere or its edges might wiggle a little bit, but a planet doesn't twinkle because it doesn't get like all of its streams interrupted at once. Mm, interesting. Unless it's maybe like a super cloudy day, right? Or, you know, a particularly kind of hazy night. Yeah, it could be. You know, if something passes between you and the planet, like an eagle or something, it can block the view. Or if there's like a huge blob of gas, hot gas somewhere in the atmosphere, it could distort it. But twinkling is not something you're going to see regularly from a planet because it appears larger in the sky. And so it's not as often actually interrupted. All right, well, that's one source of twinkling of the stars. And there are others. And there are things we can do to correct that twinkling so we can actually study stars. But let's get into that after we take a quick break. You know that feeling after you've done a deep spring clean of your house when you realize, wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like how you feel when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, while Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow. 
How have I been affording all this? So it's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Personally, I've used Mint Mobile and the calls are always so crisp and so clear. All of their plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. So it's time to ditch your overpriced wireless and go with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal for three months of premium wireless service for $15 a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just $15, a month, go to mintmobile.com slash universe. That's mintmobile.com slash universe. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash universe. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Slower speeds above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right, it's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The financial universe out there can seem like a vast place full of scary mysteries and exciting possibilities. But it can also be overwhelming to navigate, especially when you're first starting out in life. It feels sometimes like just one wrong turn could send you hurtling endlessly towards a financial black hole. But don't worry, you don't have to navigate the financial universe on your own. With the right tools, you can master the financial universe and chart your course with confidence. Intuit helps you navigate the financial universe through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit has helped a hundred million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time off to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life to immerse myself in natural beauty and have a unique experience. But you don't have to leave the United States to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. People from Puerto Rico are called Boricuas, but it's not just a name. It's a spirit, a flavor, a rhythm that you can only find in one place on Earth. Puerto Rico. It's embodied by these proud, passionate people, and you'll feel it in every part of the island. When you bask in the warmth of the beaches, when you taste the love in the food, when you embrace the call of adventure, you'll find the Boricua spirit in yourself as well. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. You can forget where you came from and embrace where you are in Puerto Rico. Because your visit ends, but the stories last forever. No passport is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. All right, we're talking about twinkle, twinkle, little stars or big stars, I guess. Yeah, technically, uh, stars are not little. 
Some stars are little, you know, neutron stars are only like 10 kilometers across. Uh, that's pretty <laughs> little by star standards. And some of them are enormous. We have an episode about the biggest stars in the universe, and some of them are bigger than our solar system. So maybe it should be more like twinkle, twinkle, gigantic star. You say it that way, it sounds flattering. Like, wow, you're swole, star. You've been working out? <laughs> <laughs> Twinkle, twinkle, rip star. <laughs> <laughs> Stars always skip leg day. So we were talking about how the twinkling, most of the twinkling or a lot of the twinkling we see of the stars is due to our atmosphere. Like we have this kind of hazy uh, layer of air and gas around the earth, which is constantly moving, maybe has pockets of hot air, cold air, different, you know, clouds and things like that. And so that is what a lot of what makes stars twinkle because they kind of obscure or interrupt the train of photons coming to our eyes from the stars. Yeah, and that's a big challenge for ground-based astronomy because we want to study the star and we want to get great resolution. You know, this fuzzes out one star that might be next to another one. It makes it harder to observe things in space and get really, really crisp images. Yeah, I guess, you know, the way astronomy started is that it was pretty good for like basic stuff of, of star observing. But then as we wanted to get more detailed or, you know, look further out, then the atmosphere and the twinkling became a problem. Yeah, well, until recently, we couldn't do anything about it. We couldn't avoid the atmosphere. Now, of course, we have things like space-based telescopes, which are awesome and it can avoid atmospheric effects. But there are limitations on space telescopes, right? They're expensive. They're hard to fix. They have to fit within a rocket. Sometimes they blow up. And so there's sort of two very complementary paths for astronomy, one space-based where you get crisp, clear pictures and the other ground-based astronomy where they've come up with some really, really clever techniques to try to overcome some of the atmospheric limitations. Yeah, this is called uh, adaptive optics. Like they actually constantly move the mirrors to correct for the twinkling. It's totally bonkers and it sounds like it would never work. But you're right, they have these mirrors that are deformable, meaning you can change the shape of the mirror so when the light hits it, it bounces off at a different angle. And if you know the effect of the atmosphere on your light source, then you can calculate in real time how to deform your mirror to undo it, to like enhance, to defog it, to defuzz it. And so they do these on really fancy telescopes on like the millisecond time scale. It's like constantly varying in small amounts the shape of the mirrors. Mm, but I guess I'm a little confused now because earlier we said that, you know, the twinkling is sort of not, it's not making the star wavy or fuzzy. It's actually just kind of interrupting the stream of photons. So how can moving the mirrors correct for photons that didn't get to me? Well, it doesn't get to you if you have a tiny little collection device like an eyeball. But if you have, you know, like a 30 meter telescope, then it's more likely that you are going to get that photon and the photon's just been deflected a little bit in one direction. And now if you have a few objects near each other, then when the atmosphere changes, it's changing the path of all those photons and those objects get fuzzed together instead of getting a clear, crisp image. So if you change the shape of your mirror, you can sort of undo that and send the photons back as if the atmosphere hadn't happened. Oh, I see. This is for a different song, I guess, right? This would be for like fuzzy, fuzzy little star. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But it's a hard problem to solve. Like to do this, you have to know what the atmosphere has done to your photons. So you might wonder like, well, how could you possibly know? You're trying to get a crisp image. You don't know what the true image should look like. So how can you like invert the atmosphere? It's a really hard problem. Yeah. And I hear they use lasers for that, right? Sometimes they use lasers. What you need ideally is some point source near the thing you're looking at where you know what it should look like, like something else nearby in the sky where you know exactly how it should look. And that lets you calculate what the atmosphere has done to it. 
You don't always have that because you don't have like something where you have a Hubble image of it nearby your star. So sometimes they use lasers and they create these artificial guide stars. Like we know what it should look like when you shoot a laser into the upper atmosphere to like excite the gases and create some emission. We know what that should look like. And so we can sort of calculate what the atmosphere has done to that light and then undo that to the light from the stars. Mm, I see. You use the laser or the reference like a control and it actually sort of tells you what the atmosphere is doing, how it's distorting your image. Yeah, it's probing the atmosphere. That's why sometimes you see these telescopes with these lasers shooting out at it. It's not like we're defending the Earth from aliens or sending messages or zapping eagles or anything like that. We're just creating a reference image so we know what the atmosphere has done to our starlight. All right, well, that's kind of the what the atmosphere is doing. It's doing a lot of the twinkling. So does that mean that like a space telescope like the Hubble or the new James Webb that's out there in space doesn't get twinkling stars. It doesn't get twinkling stars for that reason, right? There's no atmosphere up there in space to interfere with the Hubble. And that's one reason why its pictures can be so awesome and crisp and clear. So it's definitely an advantage of space-based telescopes. But when the Hubble looks out of stars, it still sometimes sees their light getting interrupted. Mm, interesting. It still sees twinkling stars still sees twinkling stars. And because we can remove the atmosphere from the explanation, that means there must be something else interfering with these stars or something else going on at the actual star itself. Whoa. So there are other sources of twinkling for a star. Like even if you get out of the atmosphere, you might still see some twinkling. Yeah, and it's totally fascinating. There were a lot of articles a few years ago about this star called Tabby's Star, where in 2015, some citizen scientists saw this dimming of this star that nobody could explain. And you might remember there were a lot of articles written about how like it might be an alien Dyson sphere, some huge mega structure built to gather all of the energy from the star that might be explaining why it seemed to be eclipsed. Whoa, did you say a Tabby's Tabby star? Like a cat? <laughs> it's called Tabby's star. I'm not sure if it's named after a person named Tabby or a person's cat named Tabby, <laughs> but it's called Tabby's star. I feel like we've hit the whole zoo here. Talked about black sheep and hawks and now cats. <laughs> it's also sometimes called WTF star, though I won't speculate on what that stands for. Mm wide toroid formation. <laughs> yes, I'm sure that's what they meant. <laughs> <laughs> or what the physics in, in Spanish. But it turns out, of course, that it's likely not a Dyson swarm. A Dyson swarm would block light at all wavelengths because it would basically be opaque. But the light that's coming from Tabby's star has been interfered with in some way that's not consistent across the spectrum. Like some frequencies of light can penetrate still from Tabby's star and other frequencies can't. But we don't have a great idea for what it is that's interfering with the light. People thought maybe it's a planet that blew up and created a big ring of dust. But that's also not creating the amount of infrared glowing people would see. It's, so it's really fascinating when a star twinkles, when it dims, because it lets us understand what might be going on in that star's system. Right. It tells us a little bit about its um, internal body bowel movements, perhaps. <laughs> I like to think about it as like telling us about its neighborhood. Hey, what's going on over there, Tabby Star? Who are your friends? Who are you hanging out with? Did you blow up a planet? <laughs> All right, so you're saying that's kind of one example of, uh, of us seeing a star out in space, sort of changing its brightness, but not due to the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And people who are interested in exoplanets, of course, know that seeing a star's light dim by a tiny little bit is an excellent way to observe exoplanets in that star, right? When we get like eclipsed by a planet that passes in front of the star, it can cause a very slight dimming. And if you observe that carefully, you can deduce the presence of that exoplanet. 
I wouldn't call that exactly twinkling, but it's an example of a star getting a small eclipse from an exoplanet. Right, because the, these uh, planets, they don't come in front of the sun that often, right? Like maybe every couple of, at most, like a couple of hours, right? It'd be a slow twinkle. <laughs> It'd be a slow twinkle. It'd be more like a twinkle. <laughs> and of course, it depends on the exoplanet and what its orbit is. Sometimes it's like once in a hundred years it passes around, or maybe it's every few hours if it's zooming around really close to the star. It really limits our ability to discover this kind of thing. But sometimes we see stars with much more dramatic dimming than we could ever explain with exoplanets or even dust swarms. Interesting. I guess my question is like, how common are these other phenomena. Like if I was out in space in my spacesuit and I looked at the stars, would I see the stars twinkling or would they, would they look pretty overall pretty constant to my eyeball? This is pretty unusual. Most of the stars are pretty constant. Sometimes there are things that interfere with the starlight and that's fascinating for astronomers and there's like a short list of these objects. But most of the stars would look pretty bright and pretty even. If I was out in space. If you're out in space, yeah. So if you're observing from the ISS or you're living on the moon, if you're flying in Elon Musk's Roadster, for example, then the stars are going to look pretty clear. Oh, interesting. So the song Twinkle Twinkle Little Star kind of doesn't apply in space. Yeah, nobody's going to be selling the galactic rights to that song. It's really just the Earth territories. <laughs> or any planet with an atmosphere, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> or maybe like if you're in the middle of a nebula, maybe like a space cloud. Maybe. But there is one star that's really interesting that astronomers have been struggling to understand for like 10 years now. Mm, what is it? It's a star called VVVWIT08. And it's in the Sagittarius constellation, about 25,000 light years away. This is a giant star. It's like 100 times the size of the sun. And about 10 years ago, it seemed to be eclipsed and not just slightly dimmed, its light was reduced by 97%. Whoa, it, like, it almost turned off completely. It almost turned off, exactly. And they've been observing this star for like 17 years, and this is the only time it ever happened. And it dimmed by 97% for a few hundred days and then came back up to full brightness. Wait, what? Like in like the space of a, like a few months? Yeah. They watch this star for years and nothing happens. And then all of a sudden, boom, it's knocked down by a factor of 30. And then it stays pretty dark for a few months. And then it goes back up to full brightness. Whoa. Like uh, all of a sudden? Or was this a gradual thing? It happened very quickly once it began. And then it stayed dark for months, right? And so this is fascinating because this is a huge star, right? This is not an eclipse from a small object. No planet it passing in front of this giant star could reduce its light by 97 percent yeah it's a, that's a big twinkle i guess <laughs> it's one big twunk really you know <laughs> <laughs> it made all the astronomers tinkle after observing it they were so excited exactly and so people are wondering what could this thing be and they've done some calculations you know, if this thing is going to eclipse such a big star, it has to be huge. It has to be the minimum size of this thing would be 0.25 AU, like a quarter of the distance between the Earth and the sun. We're talking about a single object that size. Wait, the thing that blocked the star, because uh, you're saying the star is so big, it would have to be that something really big to block it. But that's only if we assume that the thing that blocked it is close to the star. Like it could have maybe been something closer that blocked it. Yeah, it could have been something in between us and the star, right? Because you could block an entire star with the tip of your finger, which is not a quarter AU wide, if your finger is really close. But that would require like a bunch of just dark objects floating through the universe passing between us and these stars. And they did a calculation to see like how many of those dark objects would have to be randomly floating around the galaxy in order to block stars like this. And it would be a huge number. 
So that's an explanation, but it's less likely than some huge object closer to the star, some remnant of the stellar formation. Wow. But this doesn't happen that often, right? Does it? This does not happen that often, but for it to ever happen, space would basically have to be filled with these big dark objects because it's very hard to cross the line of sight between a star and us unless you have a lot of stuff out there in space because space is really, really, really big. Mm, interesting. So they think it's maybe something in the orbit of the star and it's something huge. Yeah, but they don't really understand it because we don't have models for solar system formation that include stuff like this. Like, what could it be? We have ideas of planets and maybe even rings around stars. People have this theory that maybe it's like a huge ring with a big blob in it that got exploded or torn apart by tidal forces, something like a circumstellar disk with a huge object in it. But it's much bigger than any model can predict. Interesting. Could it be like a giant cloud of something, like an asteroid cloud, maybe? It certainly could be. And perhaps, for example, another solar system passed by and lost some of its stuff to this solar system. So it could be something that happened fairly recently because these things wouldn't last for very long. If you have like a huge cloud of stuff in your solar system, eventually gravity is going to pull it together after a few million years and form it into like a planet or into something else. And so like huge clouds of gas and dust around a star tend to be short-lived objects on astronomical timescales. Whoa. All right. So that's one, I guess, twinkling that puzzled scientists. It's, it's like a big twinkle <laughs> that uh, caused this one star to twinkle. What are some other famous examples of twinkling stars? Yeah, so we have a short list of them. There's another one called Epsilon Origae. And this one is eclipsed every 27 years by some giant dust cloud which orbits it. And it's eclipsed by 50%. Whoa, meaning like we see this star called Epsilon RJ and it, it dims every 27 years. We've been looking at it that long to, no, to notice this pattern. Yeah, it was first observed in 1821. So we've been looking at this thing for like hundreds of years, which is why we have a handle on like a 27-year cycle. So it's like a twinkle, but on a 100-year scale kind of. <laughs> exactly. If you fast-forwarded the universe, this one would seem to twinkle. It's like a very slow-motion twinkle. <laughs> you have to play the song one note uh, per year. Exactly. And the dimming here lasts for like two years. And then it happens every 27 years. So it's like a giant, slow-moving dust cloud. And this one, we do know what causes. How do we know what causes this eclipse? Mostly we can study these things by looking at the spectrum. Like we can study the kind of light that can penetrate. And that tells us why this thing is transparent and why this thing is opaque. Because remember, every object is either transparent or opaque to light at different frequencies, depending on what it is. Because the atoms that make things up can only absorb photons at specific frequencies. And so by looking at the light that passes through, for example, a cloud of gas, you can tell, oh, there's hydrogen or there's helium or there's sodium or it's gas or it's dust or whatever. And you can tell by seeing which frequencies of light are filtered out by that object. And so by studying it, we can tell, oh, this is probably a big cloud of dust. Mm, I see. Like the shade of the light that comes through tells you kind of what it went through. Exactly. Just like, you know, you can throw things into flames and they make different colors. That's because different elements emit at different frequencies. They also absorb at those same frequencies. And so if you shine white light through a cloud of random gas, an astronomer can tell you what was in that gas based on whether green was removed or red was removed or the infrared was removed or something. It's like a fingerprint. All right, that's another twinkling star in space. What are some other examples? So this is a short list of them. V1400 Centauri, which is also called Mama Jet's object, 
is also eclipsed by something we don't really understand, but astronomers suspect that it's something that's 0.4 AU wide. That's an object that's like 40 million miles wide. Well, it's, it's not maybe one object. It's At that scale, it's probably like cloud of something or a cluster of something, right? Yeah, it's probably like a big cloud of gas or dust or a huge rain of rocks, right? It's probably not a single solid object that big because if it was like a huge block of iron that big, then gravitationally it would probably collapse into a black hole. All right. Well, those are different things that could make a star twinkle out in space that is not our atmosphere. Uh, but it turns out there are other reasons why a star might twinkle and it might have to do with their inner bowel movements. So let's get into that. But first, let's take another quick break. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The financial universe out there can seem like a vast place full of scary mysteries and exciting possibilities. But it can also be overwhelming to navigate, especially when you're first starting out in life. It feels sometimes like just one wrong turn could send you hurtling endlessly towards a financial black hole. But don't worry, you don't have to navigate the financial universe on your own. With the right tools, you can master the financial universe and chart your course with confidence. Intuit helps you navigate the financial universe through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit has helped a hundred million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time off to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life to immerse myself in natural beauty and have a unique experience. But you don't have to leave the United States to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. People from Puerto Rico are called Boricuas, but it's not just a name. It's a spirit, a flavor, a rhythm that you can only find in one place on Earth. Puerto Rico. It's embodied by these proud, passionate people, and you'll feel it in every part of the island. When you bask in the warmth of the beaches, when you taste the love in the food, when you embrace the call of adventure, you'll find the Boricua spirit in yourself as well. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. You can forget where you came from and embrace where you are in Puerto Rico because your visit ends, but the stories last forever. No passport is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. 
on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. All right, we're talking about twinkling and twinkling stars, both big and little, and also uh, Baba Black sheeps that might be <laughs> eclipsing stars out there in space. So, Daniel, we talked about how, like, most of the stars we see twinkle here on Earth, it's, be- it's because of the atmosphere. It's, the air around us is making the light kind of dim on and off. Uh, but you can also see them out twinkling in space because there are other things in space that might be blocking our view. But it turns out that even if you are sort of standing next to the star, you might even then see a twinkle. This is one of my favorite explanations for twinkling stars because it really goes to the heart of like your original idea. When you're looking up at the night sky and you're looking at the star and it's twinkling, you're wondering like, hmm, is it getting brighter and dimmer or is the light getting blocked? Well, it turns out that stars can actually get brighter and dimmer. That's something that a bunch of stars can do. And I was surprised to learn that the sun does this as well. The sun varies its brightness. It's not just like a constant stream of photons every year. Wait, what? Like our sun, the, the one that provides our daylight uh, is not constant? It, it's twinkling also? Yeah, it turns out all stars are variable. Some of them are much more variable than others, and we'll talk about those. But every single star has some variability to it. You know, our sun has like an 11-year cycle where something mysterious is going on at the heart of this swirling, crazy plasmas with these enormous tubes and magnetic fields that flip every 11 years. And so the brightness of our sun varies, but only a small amount. It's like zero. 0.1% over the 11-year cycle. Wow. Meaning like if you took a film of the sun and you fast-forwarded it, you would see it kind of like twinkle, right? You'd see it kind of um, blinking on and off about 0.1%, but still you might notice it. Yeah, you have a good camera. You could definitely detect that. And people have, and people who study the sun see this kind of cycle. You know, there's another longer term trend, which is the sun is overall getting brighter and brighter as it gets older. And over like a billion years, it's going to get maybe 10% brighter. That's not something we can observe with our telescopes today. But this kind of gentle twinkling is something that the sun does. Mm. And I guess that's because the sun, I mean, it's not like a machine, right? It's like a process. It's like a giant nuclear chemical reaction, right? Like there's stuff going on inside of it that maybe causes it to to kind of grow brighter or dimmer sometimes. You're suggesting that if it was a machine like designed by a stellar engineer or something, it would be more reliable? (laughs) Well, all engineers are stars, Daniel. (laughs) All engineers are stellar. We're all stellar engineers. I mean, the sun has been burning for 5 billion years without a breakdown. So, you know, I think it's uh, pretty effective. Well, I guess what I mean is it's kind of like it's an organic process. Right. Like it's not perfectly imbalanced. Maybe sometimes it gets a little overexcited and sometimes a little underexcited. Yeah, it's a different process than combustion, but it's sort of like a fire. You know, it has fuel, it keeps burning and that flame fluctuates. 
And so it's not like designed or orchestrated in order to provide a certain amount of light. It's just a thing that is there and does what it's doing. And that means that it has cycles because of the internal workings of the sun vary. And it's incredible that it's so regular too. It's not something that we understand the source of this 11 year cycle for the sun. Wow. So I wonder like if we were a different species of animal and we had like a thought process that was a lot slower, like to us, maybe the sun would look like a strobe light almost. If we thought about things in the scale of like centuries, it would look like uh, it was blinking on and off kind of. Yeah, that's fun to think about. Or another idea is what if we were a species that was extraordinarily sensitive to the amount of sunlight so that we could like observe and notice this 11 year cycle and it affected our evolution the way like the day night cycle and the winters have affected the evolution of light on Earth. It'd be interesting if you had species that were sensitive to these 11 year cycles. Wow, like maybe you're sleepier for 11 years and, <laughs> and, and then you're less sleepy. Maybe that's why I've been late this past 11 years, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, then how do you explain the previous 11 years? <laughs> <laughs> I was a lot more on time 11 years ago. Mm -hmm, I believe that. I've known you for more than 11 years, so I can contest that data. <laughs> well, you just don't have enough data points, Daniel. You need at least, a, what's the uh, Nyquist frequency? Yeah, you need at least twice the uh, periodicity. Right? All right, I'll get back to you in 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, wait, wait another 30 years and then we'll talk about my business. All right, I'm putting it on my calendar. Siri, schedule an appointment for 30 years from today. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, I think what you're saying is that like maybe, I wonder if there are things on Earth that are sensitive to that cycle, right? Like maybe it might affect our atmosphere too, right? Every 11 years, maybe things get a little bit warmer or colder. Yeah, well, the brightness of the sun definitely affects the atmosphere and the climate here on Earth, but there are larger effects. The Earth goes through these cycles that affect like the ice ages and glaciation because the Earth's orbit changes a little bit and the tilt changes a little bit as it's tweaked by like Jupiter. So I think those effects are larger than the variability of the sun itself. So the sun is a twinkling star. It's pretty interesting. But then, and then there are other ways in which a star can change too. Yeah, so all stars vary and some of them vary a lot. There are these stars that are called pulsating stars, and they get brighter and dimmer and brighter and dimmer, sometimes by a huge amount. A classic example of these are the Cepheids. These are the ones that Hubble used to discover that the universe is expanding. These aren't like pulsars, which shoot out a beam of light, which spins around and sweeps over the Earth. These are like radially shrinking and growing. They get bigger and brighter and then smaller and dimmer. Whoa, they're, they're like a beating heart almost, like the star is growing and shrinking. Yeah, they pulse with a regular frequency. Well, what kind of frequency are we talking about? There's a big range in the periods, but it's on the order of days. Some of these things have a period of like 10 days or 80 days or 90 days. So this is not like a pulsar that can be spinning at like millisecond frequencies or something. It's more like on the order of days. But sometimes they have like multiple frequencies. They can have like a major frequency and then they have like another cycle that's going on inside of that that like can constructively or destructively interfere. Whoa. But even a period of days seems a lot, right? Like can you imagine a star changing that quickly? Like a star the size of our sun changing that quickly every couple of days? That, that would be pretty dramatic. It would be crazy to be in a system like that where things got a lot brighter and then a lot dimmer. And also the star itself is getting bigger, right? This is like an astrophysical thing you can observe. Like the star is expanding and now it's shrinking. It has to do with what's going on inside the star. You know, like, is the star opaque to its own energy so that there's all this pressure from the radiation being generated at the core that's pushing out the outer layers? Or does it cool down and then become like transparent to that energy and it can collapse a little bit? So there's this cycle that's going on inside every star, but in some stars, it's very dramatic. 
right? Because stars, as we talked about it, are kind of a balance between gravity squishing everything in and diffusion exploding everything out. And like our star is pretty steady, like it's pretty well balanced, but maybe there are stars out there that are not as well balanced. And so they kind of swing back and forth more wildly between squishing and exploding. Yeah. And it's something we're still trying to understand in detail. People are building models to try to explain this kind of thing. And it's a great way to probe what's going on inside the star. Also because for Cepheids at least, there's this close connection between the period, how long it takes to go from like bright to dim and bright to dim and how bright it is at its brightest point which of course is super helpful if you want to understand how far away the star is, but also helpful if you want to understand what's going on inside the star, what crazy processes are driving these things. Oh, it's got like a, a lot of turmoil <laughs> inside of it, but predictable turmoil almost. Yeah, precisely. Okay, cool. And then there are also erupting stars or farting stars. There are some stars that are even more dramatic than these pulsating stars. They are called erupting stars. Uh, these stars like blow out material. They like puff away material and then they lose it. You know, it's like gone out into space. These are not like explosive events. It's not like, you know, the star has exploded. It's not like a supernova. It's more just like the star has very rapidly grown and then loses some of its material. It's not like a gas pocket. It's more like it has one of these flare ups and in the process it shoots out a big bunch of stuff. It shoots out a big bunch of stuff and it can also accrete a big bunch of stuff. Like sometimes they're near a source and so they're gathering more fuel and that can make the star brighter. In extreme cases, it can be really dramatic. One example is called a flare star. These kind of stars can grow in brightness by a factor of six and then fade back down. And this whole thing happens in like a half an hour. That's huge. But it's not, uh, is it constant or is it just happens every once in a while? These things are not regular the way like pulsating stars are. And it's not something that we understand. You know, we don't even understand it as well as we understand like solar flares on the surface of our sun, which have to do with like magnetic field lines snapping and reconnecting. So it's something we observe, but it's something we still don't understand the process of. Oh, I see. It's more like one twinkle, like it twinkles once sometimes. No, it's regular and it's unpredictable. Um, but it does seem to happen much more often to red dwarfs, like these dim red dwarfs that are all over the galaxy. One of the most common types of star. These are the ones that turn into flare stars. Mm, interesting. Regular and unpredictable. I feel like it's um, <laughs> a good description of myself as well. <laughs> Maybe I should have said not uncommon and unpredictable. It's sort of cool because the galaxy is filled with these unassuming sort of generic dim red dwarfs. But occasionally one of them becomes like ridiculously bright for just like a half an hour and then goes back to being a boring star. So these are examples of stars kind of twinkling by themselves. Like you said, like it's not something that's blocking it. It's not the atmosphere that's distorting it. It's like the star itself kind of twinkles, even if it's on a pretty big time scale. Exactly. And it's sort of across the whole spectrum. You know, the whole star lights up in many different frequencies. And so it's pretty cool because that means that the twinkling you're seeing is not just something local, not just your atmosphere, but it's actually information about what's going on inside the star. So it's like there's science there. It's like it's sending you a message. Oh, interesting. It's like there's, yeah, there's there's hidden uh, mechanics going on that you could maybe figure out if you could study this, this twinkling. Yeah, and I think about this kind of thing every time I'm out in nature enjoying a dark sky night, which, you know, is harder and harder to get these days. Right, You but you go camping a lot, right? Is that when you look at stars? mostly? Yeah, when you go camping is when you're far away from the city and all the light pollution and hopefully you don't see too many clouds. That's when you break out the guitar 
and you start <laughs> lecturing to your kids about the twinkling stars in, in music. I try not to force them to listen to it. But, you know, by the way, we got a comment from a listener about something you said about the weather in Spokane, Washington, and how likely they are to have clear skies. Wait, what? What, what happened? What did I say and what did they say? Apparently you said that it rains 11 months per year in Spokane, Washington. And this listener, Jeremy, wrote in and said, I just want you to know that Spokane is basically a desert and it's pronounced Spokane. So <laughs> thanks, Jeremy, for the fact checking. So I was wrong on many, many counts. <laughs> yeah, and actually I looked it up and it rains 17 inches a year in Spokane and 20 inches a year in your hometown of Pasadena. So it's even drier in Spokane than it is where you live. Interesting. Wow. Well, I was wrong. But it means that observing the night sky in Pasadena and in Spokane, you won't get blocked by a lot of clouds. <laughs> I am wrong every 11 years. It does happen <laughs> due to the sun variations. You know, it's not something I can help. That's right. Every star has their variability and this is yours. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Every stellar engineer uh, has a cycle. All right. Well, it's interesting that, you know, something as simple as a kid song like Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star has so much science behind it. You know, it tells us it's inspired by, you know, the, the effects of our atmosphere that we have, how it blocks our view of the universe. And it also maybe has something to do with the mechanics of stellar, you know, fusion and processes inside of these incredible exploding machines. Yeah, it's really an outstanding way to think about the universe and the journey that these photons make across it from when they're born in this hot ball of plasma billions and billions of miles away to finally landing on your eyeball. The fact that they get there tells you something about the universe between here and there. And the fact that some of their brothers and sisters didn't get there also tells you something about what's between us and that star. Yeah, only the lucky ones make it to Spokane, Washington. <laughs> The unlucky ones make it to Pasadena or Irvine, is that what you're <laughs> That's saying? That's right. The unlucky ones get here and they have to listen to my band playing music. <laughs> I'm going to file a noise complaint. <laughs> the universe already did it. <laughs> All right. Well, the next time you listen to this song, think about the stars and think about how our view of the universe is still not completely clear. We hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Thanks for listening, and remember that Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island. It becomes part of you. 
In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 